0: All right, folks, we've been waiting all winter for this. Spring training is here. The Cubs are showing up in Mesa and there's a whole bunch of them. Lots to get to um, behind the yellow line tonight. We will take a look at this spring training roster. A couple of names that jump out at us. Cubs finally making that long-awaited bullpen move. A right-hander though gets the one-year deal. Michael Fulmer, more on him. Some fangraph projections. We're going to do a little bit of wagering here on whether a couple of Cubs outfielders will outperform or underperform their fangraphs projections going into the year. And then we'll go down a trip into memory lane here. We'll take a look at the 2003 Chicago Cubs, something we want to celebrate here 20 years later. Randall's got a list of some interesting names that were spring training training invitees for the Cubs back in 2003. So lots to get to. Like I said tonight, uh, spring training's here. We're getting pictures of Cubs down in the desert, getting ready, games right around the corner. But something that caught my attention, you know, at the end of all of this, 26 guys break camp, go to Chicago and we get the season going. Jeremy, there are 73 players right now, including Michael Fulmer, invited into camp for the Cubs. That's a lot of bodies as we get ready to open up spring training.
1: It's definitely, definitely a lot of bodies. And, you know, over time, they'll whittle that down. But, you know, it's always nice to get that first day of spring training, get all the footage and the guys there warming up. Although it didn't look like it was that warm of a day down there in Mesa, Arizona. It looked like it was pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, it's fun to see, you know, the pitchers, the catchers. And as we talked about, it seems like almost everybody's there already. Like all the position players have been around hitting. So it's not quite like it's like everybody's ready to go. Everybody's there. Everybody's performing. So. Uh, but still, the first day of spring training, Super Bowl's over. It's almost pretty much time for baseball season. Uh, it's a fun day. I always love it. always love seeing the first shots and videos of guys warming up. I loved seeing uh, Cody Hoyer throwing off the mound today. I thought that was cool.
2: Yeah, the the beat reporters all pointing out how chilly it was in Mesa this morning. I believe the uh, the first workout temperature this morning, a balmy 36 degrees. But it's a, it's a dry 36 degrees because they're in the desert.
0: Well, pretty soon, you know, that sun's going to be shining and they'll be playing games here. Uh, One thing that I noticed, just as some of the pictures came in, I like what you said there, Jeremy, about Cody Hoyer. Um, No guarantee that he'll open the year on the active roster. There's some speculation he could even be headed to the 60-day IL. But just to see him on the mound throwing, that's a really good sign. We've been anticipating this for a long time since his trade from the White Sox. Um, I got to say, Saya looks a bit bigger this year, right? Now, I don't know if it's just me misremembering last spring, but it looks like he put on a bit of weight, put on a little bit of muscle. Maybe that translates into more home runs this year.
1: I agree. I, I, the first time I saw Seiya, like as a picture of him uh, arriving at the camp this year, I was like, Ooh, that that dude, he looks like he's got some bigger biceps on him. He looks more like a tank now. And yeah, I think that, you know, a full off season, you know, working out with the Cubs and, and, you know, maybe we can get a little bit of power, get some of that power we saw in Japan, and so I'm excited for him. I think, I think, I mean, I know we're going to talk about him a little bit later, but uh, yeah, that guy looks, he looks like a tank. Kind of like how Nico Horner showed up last year, looking a little bit thicker.
2: It's definitely not just you. He's uh, uh, made it public how much work he's done this year to keep himself strong and get stronger and of course one of the first photos to come out of camp was him seeing david ross for the first time and uh, flexing for his manager as one does uh, so it, it's definitely not just you say put on uh what looks like some good muscle weight this year and as you said hopefully that translates to uh, an uptick in the power numbers
1: yeah i i think oh sorry i was gonna say i, I think Saya. you know i i i we, we see all these guys, you know, Dansby's down there and uh Cody's been living, Bellinger, he's been living, you know, down there working out like all summer. I, I just think it's just to go back to my previous point. I just think it's kind of cool that all these guys, uh, David Ross, he said that Justin Steele pretty much, he, he moved out there to Mesa. Like he's living out there full time. He's been out in the, in the, out there all winter uh working out. So I think we, we've seen the, investment that the team has put into the spring training facilities out, you know, Sloan park and everything around there. And so I think it's, it's kind of like a huge benefit to organization that all these guys are, are going in there and that's where they're spending all their time uh, working out together. And, I I I I think it's like a really good thing, and and I, I'm sure it's more common now across baseball. But it's completely different than years past, where we used to see guys kind of stroll in at any time or wondering whether certain players when when they're coming in. Now everybody's there like
2: right at the start of spring training, and I think that's pretty cool. It's that football practice mentality. If you're on time, you're late. the the the, the stylish thing is to be very early now. And we've been talking for the last month about how guys are already out there putting on those those blue pullovers and getting their work in.
0: Well, something, too, about 73 guys showing up in Mesa. You break that down, and you've got a handful of guys that are going to open the year on the injured list, guys like Kyle Hendricks. We don't anticipate it's going to be better for opening day. You've got guys on the 40-man roster that are not expected to break camp with the team. Brendan Davis, an example of what that player would be. Then you've got, like, 35 extra guys that are just there right now vying for bullpen rolls or extra infield spots beyond the bullpen, which is the obvious, What position battles do you think will actually play out in camp this year for the Cubs? Because a lot of the starting jobs are pretty much locked up.
2: Yeah, you know, I don't see a whole lot of room in the outfield. You've got three quality starting outfielders, and you've got, uh, I think, a pretty solid outfield bench either locked in for the eventual 26 man or on the 40 man. I think maybe if there's any room, it's for an extra infielder. And I feel like Sergio Alcantara and David Bodie might be vying for that extra spot. Uh, You know, like you said, there's always bullpen competition and there's always a glut of bullpen arms fighting for one or two spots. But outside of that, I think maybe reserve infielder might be a spot where there's a little bit of a battle. But uh, like you said, everything else is pretty well locked in outside of the bullpen.
1: I, th- I think there still will be some um, kind of competition for the rotation, I, I, especially towards the end. I think there's a lot of guys who kind of could come into the year thinking that they have a chance to make this rotation out of camp. I, I mean, you're going to get, you know, James and Tyon and, and Marcus Strowman and these guys are going to be locks, but Justin Steele, in my opinion, as well. Um, but, you know, like, you know, we'll see how Smiley and, and Adrian Sampson – And Keegan Thompson and, you know, even a guy like Caleb Killian, who probably is going to start the year in Iowa, but still like there's a bunch of names there. I think there are Hayden Wesneski that are going to kind of come in and try to compete for that fifth kind of rotation spot. And I I think there will be still some big competition there towards the end of the rotation. Um, So I'm interested to see how that works out, because I think the Cubs do have like a lot of kind of depth starters. And so I'm interested to see how they kind of worked about who starts in the bullpen, who goes back to Iowa, who might actually be in the rotation to start the year. So that that's something that's interesting to me.
2: And something that might be worth keeping an eye on is, One of those depth pieces in Javier Assad, he's pitching for Team Mexico in the World Baseball Classic. He's not going to be in camp with the Cubs for a lot of the spring. And, you know, that was probably a decision he had to weigh. Do you stay in camp and increase your chances of maybe breaking camp with the team? And his chances were never that high. Or do you pitch for your country and, you know, be away from that competition for an extended period? And he made the decision that was right for him. But that's something that's worth watching is, uh, you know, who, who vying for a spot might not be in camp the entire time and might have you know benignly hurt their chances of maybe getting one of those spots right out of the gate
1: I mean if Javier Saad pitches pretty well for Team Mexico I think the Cubs would take note of that I don't think it'd be like oh, that's like a negative I don't think necessarily like not being in camp is a negative
2: I don't think it's a negative but I think it affects it a little bit so that's why I said like benignly like he you know he's not harming his chances but he's altering them slightly by not being in camp i guess i i just i i think well first of all we'll see how far mexico is but i, I think there's, right, there's right. a lot there they, they might not be too long for the turn right That's true.
1: I, I, I mean there's a lot of guys who aren't going to be in cubs camp uh this coming up like matt mervis and the guys who, who are have uh you know because we'll see how first base goes and and the, the competition there that but there's a lot of guys that are not that they're playing from the Cubs in the, in, in world baseball class, the Stroman we've gone over all these guys. So it'll, yeah, it will be interesting because it will leave a lot of room for the guys that aren't playing there to get a lot more looks and, and from, you know, the actual uh, Cubs front office and, and staff um, and get more a lot of hands-on instruction, I guess. But uh, I, I don't necessarily think it'll be a negative for any of them that are going over there. If they perform, like if they're out there performing and they're going to be back, like the world baseball class is going to be done. It's not going to be done like right at the start of the regular season. It's going to be done. There's going to be a couple of weeks before the regular
0: season starts. Looking at position players, I think there's a couple of names that jump out that every Cubs fan is going to be excited to see them play. Like we're all ready to see what's Dansby Swanson going to look like in a Cubs uniform. This was the big free agent signing. You've got Pete Crow Armstrong, right? The heralded prospect. When that guy's in the field or he's batting, Cubs fans are going to be glued to their TVs to see what he looks like. Beyond those guys, Jeremy, what position player are you looking at this spring going, I'm really going to be interested to see what this guy looks like and how he performs. And i prefer if you pick someone you think is a real shot of making the roster versus a prospect that we'll see down the road a bit.
1: Yeah, you know, there's there's a few, well, a few guys that are kind of I'm I am kind of interested in that we'll see. I think I think Ed Randall mentioned, you know, the end of the bench is gonna be kind of interesting. I, I'm curious to see how Christopher Morel, you know, comes back after an offseason of being a major leaguer, comes in perform, and then you have uh McKinstry and Master that these are all guys that we'll see if they're gonna make the team, you know, and they're gonna be fighting for um that that last bench spot. So I don't know if I'm necessarily like super excited to watch them, but I think they're they're interesting position players to follow along and see how their their uh, spring training goes because you, you get a good spring training like you're like and as as kind of dumb as it is you know that's it still factors a lot into who's going to make the team and who's not going to make the team to start a year on April and being on that opening day starter like somebody who's hot and is hitting well is. <laughs> If you're in that position, like whether it's Zach McKinstry or Miles Mashburny, one of them's hitting pretty well, one of them's not, like they're gonna go with the guy who's hitting well. So that's kind of like where uh, something that I find interesting and and, and looking at. And uh, one other name that I uh, kind of a, an addition is I, I do kind of want to see how Trey Mancini looks in the Cubs uniform. I, I'm still kind of I'm kind of high on him. So
0: that's a I was name gonna I'm going to say at here. Too. I asked you for one name, and you gave I gave me you five. like three. Yeah, but give me who is the one guy, that one guy that you're like, above all else, this is the player that I'm really interested in.
1: Above, above all, well, you're, I mean, I, well, you limited it to, can't, like, not as, like, a prospect. So, okay, then I was say guy Trey that's going to make the roster. A guy who's going to make the roster. I'll say Trey Mancini out of all of them. I, I would say Trey Mancini is a guy who I'm interested in and wanting to see.
2: Randall? Yeah. I'm going to go with Christopher Murrell. Uh he, He's had a full offseason season of you know kind of knowing his status obviously as a minor leaguer you're you're never unsure of your status you know you're going to play in the minor leagues you, maybe some question as to what level but this is going to be his first offseason coming into big league camp as a, a relatively established big leaguer and you know that changes the outlook for a guy you're going to be in big league camp the whole spring you're going to work with the big league coaches the whole spring that changes a guy's outlook it changes what he's working on so I'm and he's put on a lot of muscle over the offseason so I'm curious to see what he comes to camp looking like as a a player and a defender and a hitter. And I'm curious to see how that translates to his opening day status and what role he might be playing. So I think it'll be a really interesting spring for Christopher Morel, And everybody loves watching Christopher Morel. He's just pure joy. Um, You know, he, he probably hugged every one of his teammates when he showed up in Mesa. So I think it'll be an interesting spring for him. And I'd like to see how that goes for him.
0: Yeah, That's going to be a big one. And I'm sort of in the same page, Randall. I'm also thinking third base, but David Bodie is the guy that I'm really curious what David Bodie shows up to spring training this year. We haven't seen him healthy in like three years. So one, is he healthy Two, like, what type of mood is he going to be in? Right? The guy's not on the 40 man right now. He does not have a guaranteed job in Chicago come opening day. And this is a guy who has been in the majors since 2018, sort of off and on. So this maybe motivates David Bodie. Maybe everything sort of comes together, and he finally has the spring that earns him a job on the roster. Or, and I don't think this is likely, but I think it's a possibility. He's kind of pissed off, showing up at spring training. He's not in a good mood. He's not happy with where he stands in the organization. And then you've got that storyline to follow. So I don't know that David Bodie's going to make this roster, but that's a guy that I'm really curious. I don't know what this guy is going to look like in the spring, and I'll be watching for it because. For years, we've seen the potential, and maybe he figures it out and earns a roster spot. You just whatever whatever David Bodie does, let him onto the field, and
2: then then paint the logos, maybe just to just to keep him away from uh, his biggest adversary so far. Yeah, keep he's him. He's gonna
1: healthy. get paid though, so no matter where he is, he's gonna get paid. He's got that, that contract so...
0: though. That'll help a guy sleep at night. What about pitching? One guy, one guy, Jeremy. Give me a pitcher that you're eager to watch this spring.
1: Hayden Wesneski, I, 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 he came in last year. He, he, I thought he was pretty much lights out as a starter. I thought he pitched exceptionally well, and I'm, I'm excited about him, and I want to see how he progresses and where he goes. And because I'm hopeful that the Cubs have a starter here, because uh, you know there's talk of him going back to the bullpen if he doesn't necessarily work out as a starter. But that's a name, that's a guy that I think. Uh, at the end of the rotation to come out. That's a guy I'm excited to see in spring training is Hayden Wesneski.
2: I got a name for you, and that's uh, Rowanus Elias. He's kind of like, I guess that's like the Cuban version of Ronan, maybe is Rowanus. But Rowanus Elias, he signed on a minor league deal. He's a left-hander, a veteran left-hander. He's been around for quite a while. He is pitching for Team Cuba in the Classic, but he is in camp with the Cubs as a minor league signee. He was pitching lights out. Uh, in the Dominican Winter League, where the Cubs signed him while he was pitching there. I think that's a really interesting name because you come into camp as a pitcher, you always have the best chance of the non-roster guys of potentially making the roster. I'm really curious to see what kind of spring he has and what kind of role that he might slot into. Uh, So that's a guy I'm going to be keeping an eye on uh, when he's pitching, whether it's uh, 14 Cuba or the Cubs, to see what his status might be come opening day.
0: I like both of them. I'm going to go with Justin Steele, though. I think he's got the highest upside of anybody in the starting rotation, and this is a guy going into year three. You know, we saw him a little bit in 2021, almost a full season last year, so basically his third season now in the majors. This is a guy who should be primed for a big jump. So I'm going to be excited. When that guy's pitching this spring, I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be watching. though well, he's not pitching, but that's a player that certainly I've got my eyes on that let's see what he's got. And, man, if he's good, it would make a huge, huge improvement for this starting rotation and uh, solidify maybe the top of the line starter in the rotation by the middle of the year. We'll see where that goes. Uh, Anything else from spring training at this point?
2: Yeah, I'm, you know, real curious to see some of these guys that we've talked about for a season now. Guys like Cam, yes, Ronan Sanders, Cam Sanders, Chase Strumpf, uh, Darius Hill. These are all players who came up on prospect corner. At various points last season and you know these are the i don't know coveted is the word but these are the prospect non-roster guys guys in the system that the organization wants a closer look at and wants to have wants them to have the spring with the major league coaches those are three players that i'm really interested in seeing how they perform in spring because i think those are three players that could potentially impact the big league roster at some point this year cam sanders hard throwing reliever converted from the rotation he touches triple digits Chase Strumpf, uh, hits for power. He walks and he plays second and third base. Darius Hill is probably mostly a corner outfielder, a little bit of center, but all he does is hit. And those are three real interesting guys. We profiled them last season. And I'm going to be really interested to see what kind of looks they get in the spring this year. So those are three other names that I'm going to be watching. And I was was excited. As much as you can be excited about the the non-roster list, those are three names I was excited to see that will be in big league camp this spring. I think just
1: to go off of... um... Uh, not necessarily about uh, you know on-field stuff uh, in spring training, but to just mention that you know Marquee is going to be airing like almost all uh, the spring training games uh, this 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 year, and then the games that they aren't necessarily airing uh, are either going to be they're uh, going to be covered by MLB Network or uh, they're picking up the feed of other teams. So there's really only I think two games that aren't actually airing on marquee or on MLB network, this spring training. So I, I just think for spring training as a fan to get out there, I'm very excited to go out there. Like this is, this is what we wanted from marquee. You know, when that was first announced, It's like, okay, now we have a dedicated Cubs channel. They should be covering all of spring training. So I'm very excited about that. So that's one thing I'm very much looking forward to in spring training this year is to get a chance to actually, you know, watch and, and feel like summer is here uh, and watching a lot of spring training baseball. Yeah, Absolutely. absolutely a huge
0: win for marquee sports network about time. I think the other thing to say, they should have been doing this from the get-go, but it's happening. Lots of chances to watch these players. The only other thing then is just stay healthy guys, right? Cause that's obviously an inevitable thing that comes up in spring training. Guys are going to get banged up a little bit. You hope the key guys though, can stay healthy. You definitely hope those prospects can stay healthy. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Just seeing a lineup with Pete Crow Armstrong in there and envisioning that, hey, that should be the everyday thing here in about a year and a half. So good stuff on that front. Cubs also making a move in the bullpen here. A veteran pitcher, 29-year-old Michael Fulmer, comes over on a one-year, $4 million deal. This is a guy who was a longtime starter in the majors with the Detroit Tigers. The last two years or so, he's been primarily used out of the bullpen. And, Jeremy, this is a sinker baller. Seems perfectly in line with the Cubs' middle infield defense there with Dansby and Nico. Do you think Fulmer will be a good fit in the bullpen?
1: I, I I think he will be a decent fit. I think it's an interesting signing because, you know, I would keep talking about them signing a left-handed pitcher uh, this whole time as, you know, they needed one. And then they come out and it's Michael Fulmer, who I wasn't really expecting. But uh, I, I think, you know, it kind of fits the Cubs mold of what we've seen from them a lot. As Marcus Stroman uh, said earlier today with Dansby and Nico behind him, the sinkers are going to be sinking. Uh, or I guess maybe the sinkers are going to be sinking that I also saw he did, reported. He did
2: say that, yes.
1: <laughs> so you got to get, get more sinker guys. And, uh, I, you know, Fulmer had that great rookie year, and he pitched pretty well, and then it kind of tailed off. But it, it seems like since he's been back in the bullpen, his stuff has kind of played up a little bit. He gets a lot of weak contact, a lot of weak, you know, ground balls. And so it does seem like a very good fit. I feel like with the Cubs kind of putting that emphasis on defense, the defense this year, especially up the middle, I feel like Michael Fulmer, four million did seem like a little lot to me for a guy like that. But I I, I do think it's a good fit, and I like I like the signing. You mentioned
0: that great rookie year. You're talking 2016, the American League Rookie of the Year. That's how great of a year it was for him. Randall, you like Fulmer in a Cubs uniform?
2: I do like Fulmer in a Cubs uniform. Uh, Like Jeremy said, I was a little surprised to see him as the relief signing instead of a, a, a left handed pitcher. And my first question was maybe he has splits for his career and that support that maybe that they would use him. Against lefties, and that's not the case. In 2022, lefties hit him around pretty good. They OPSed over 900 against him. So he is, like you said, another contact-oriented pitcher. He does not strike out very many batters. He struck out only 61 batters in 63 and two-thirds innings last year between Detroit and Minnesota. So he's not a strikeout guy. It is another guy that they are going to pair with that improved infield defense. But he's been a reliable reliever. The numbers are there. The the THIP. Fielding independent, fielding independent pitching uh, numbers are there for him. He wasn't necessarily outperforming anything last year. So he's another solid right-handed guy who could potentially work his way into uh, a late inning role. So, you know, it, it's a perfectly fine signing. Famous last words. I've said that about a lot of guys and it's come back to bite me very badly. Knock on wood. Hopefully this is not one of those times.
0: And I should clarify, he's 29 today. His birthday's in about a month, so he'll actually be 30 years old on opening day. But uh, I like the move here. I also was anticipating a lefty. I was really thinking as the line was getting closer and closer to spring training that Andrew Schaafen was actually going to be coming back. Well, that's not the case. He gets a one-year deal, about $5.5 million to go to Arizona. So the Cubs do not bring him home, so to speak. Michael Fulmer instead, the guy there. Uh, Any chance here? That There's one other move in the bullpen. Does Matt Moore maybe come in, or is budget limitations, self-imposed, going to be the problem here?
2: I I do still think they bring in a lefty reliever from somewhere. Uh, Maybe it's a a trade to clear a 40-man spot. Uh, and they they get a non-roster guy that they don't necessarily need to roster. Maybe it is Matt Moore that they sign as a free agent. And, you know, there's always guys who sign during spring. I do still think there's one more left-handed reliever coming. I'd like Matt Moore. Jeremy's been a big proponent to him. Um, but, you know, it's all, all about how things shake out. And uh, if the Cubs end up with an injury and a role, they might be able to offer more to a Matt Moore as far as available innings versus another team. So, you know, it, it, the, the landscape changes as teams start reporting and start change, starts changing pretty drastically. Uh, they were reported to be at Zach Britton's
1: showcase today, which but they were one of six teams that were there, and that, that's a lefty, Zach Britton. And uh, they, I don't necessarily know if they report as being a, a favorite or anything with him. Uh, I've seen some rumors about him going to the Mets because he has that relation with Buck Showalter and also formerly pitching in New York with the Yankees, but uh, they were one of six teams that were there with at Zach Britton. So to me, that does seem to suggest that they still do have interest out there, or maybe they're just doing due diligence on just, you know, making sure they keep tabs on everybody. But I, I do think they kind of need another lefty. Um, I, that's why I was kind of surprised about this 4 million, because they talked about, you know, always having this kind of like $10 million, you know, whatever. They were like 10 million below the threshold and having a that kind of like Right, a buffer so that they can add things during the regular season if need be. Um, So I was a little surprised. That seemed like a lot to cut into that. Um, But, uh, you know, I, I still think they need a lefty, and so I'm still hopeful they go out and they do get. And, yes, we, we've we talked about Matt Moore, and I, I'm i a big Matt Moore proponent. I think that he pitched ex- exceptional last year, so I would love to see him. But, like I said, they were at Zach Britton's workout uh showcase, so I think it suggests they're still interested in bringing in another bullpen arm.
2: If uh, Zach Britton does reunite with Buck Showalter, uh, maybe make sure that Buck knows where the bullpen phone is and how to reach Zach in the event that he needs him. Uh, You know, we were talking about the lefties. There are four lefties in camp, four veteran guys, and then two, uh, two prospects. Maybe one of those guys emerges as that other lefty in the bullpen. So there's Ronan, I know you say spring training is too long. Um, but there's a lot of runway for one of those guys to potentially establish himself and and be that left ear reliever instead of uh, a free agent coming in. So that's part of the intrigue of spring is seeing who shakes themselves out and who ends up getting one of those last spots.
0: Yeah. Magic number is going to be 26. They got about a month and a half to get that figured out, but they're coming down from 73. So lots of... Uh letters what do you call those the notes in the locker right when the players see that they're getting the, the red motive. tags as, as red made tags famous, yeah
2: as made famous in major league you never want one in your locker
0: A lot of those coming here um but again some are expected some will end up on the injured list Uh, others are going to start in des moines but will certainly be up in a matter of time um something that we are going to be doing over the next couple of weeks as we get closer to opening day is taking a look at fan graph projections of individual players on the team and basically saying whether we think that player will outperform or underperform those projections and we wanted to start this week jeremy was digging into it a little bit we decided to start with outfielders today so we're going to talk seya suzuki christopher morrell cody bellinger the new center fielder and ian happ who's the opening day left fielder for the cubs so three starters there and another guy who's going to be bouncing all over the place jeremy let's start with Saya suzuki he's going into his second year with the cubs expected to be the everyday right fielder what did Fangrass project in his output this year, and then we'll go around and think and say whether or not they'll outperform or underperform it. So, what do you got for Saya here?
1: Yeah, and just to reiterate, these are the uh, the depth chart projections that you'll see on FanGraphs. So if you check the depth charts, you can see all of them uh, on fangrass and this combination of uh, the various projections of the Zips and the Steamers they have. So, uh, uh, they have, and and just for some context, I'll give you his 2022 numbers beforehand. Last year, he hit. 262 336 433 with 14 homers and had 2 WAR and this year the the depth chart is projecting him to hit 264 350 475 that's his slash line with 26 home runs and 3.3 WAR so quite actually an improvement on what he did last year so i think for me i'll start us off i guess we're going to put this one on the board i i i that's since that that's a kind of a big improvement and as a big proponent of Say Suzuki and thinking, yeah, he's going to be a lot better coming into uh, this season next year. I'm kind of, I think, I feel like I'm going to take the under on that because they got him going from, four, and I realize some of his playing time, they got him going from 14 homers to 36 homers, or excuse me, 26 homers, which is a big jump. Uh, I I I would love to see that big jump and I hope it comes, but I'm going to take the under. I'm, I'm going below that.
2: I'm going to take the over. I think they're selling Seiya short. I'm going to be the optimist here. Uh, I'm, so I'm taking over on this projected slash line. I will buy 26 home runs from Seiya. I think that's reasonable. But I think they're underselling him on the slash line. So I will take the over on Seiya Suzuki versus Fangraph projections.
0: I love your optimism, Randall. And that's, that's what me. I'm pulling for. I, I would love for that to be the case. I would be over the moon if Seiya hits 26 home runs this year. That's not what I think is going to happen. To be honest with you, I'm worried if he's going to get to 20. And that should be the floor for him, but I don't know that he's necessarily going to get there. So I'm going to take the under, but I want to eat crow on this more than any other projection that I'm going to make tonight. Or I think moving forward on the show, I hope he exceeds that as a betting man, I would take the under.
1: And, and one thing I do want to make clear um, for all of us, we're going to, we're going to pick over under cause I, I we want to take an opinion on this and, and I feel like, for most of these, we're all gonna be like, well, that seems accurate, but that's the point for, of a projection system, right? Like it's supposed to be that 50th percentile. You think that's kind of what it's gonna be. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna go over under because we're we're gonna really put ourselves out there.
0: Yeah. Well, let's look at Christopher Morel. This is a guy who our guest last week, Sean Holland, was saying, you know, maybe that's the everyday third baseman. But we've got him lumped out with the outfielders last year, 235, 308, 433, 16 home runs last year for Chris Morrell. I don't think anybody expected that going into the year. Good for one and a half war. Jeremy, what's the projection for this year? Yeah, so this year kind
1: of similar, um, but they they got him at uh, 230 batting average, 297 on base, 412 slug with 19 home runs, a little bit more pushing 20 and 1.8 war, which is slightly higher than what he did last year. And so for me again, I, I I'm sorry, but I got to go. Under, I got to go under. I just, I don't know. I, I, I think the 19 home runs, he, he did have a big power output last year, getting almost two war. I'm not sure how, where he's going to be playing. I, I think he'll play all over, but I just, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid of him falling into some traps of some plate discipline issues, some approach issues, swinging at a lot of pitches, that I think that he probably got away from a he had a huge, you know, opening week. The pitchers didn't really know him. The book will be or excuse me, opening month really. Uh the pit the book will be out on him. So he's not going to really get those kind of fastball meat fastballs and stuff to hit. They'll figure out what his weakness is and they'll attack it. So he's gonna have to adjust. So I'm kind of skeptical. I'm gonna go under.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna take the under. I'm not gonna take it by much. I buy 19 home runs. He hit 16 and he didn't come up until late May. So I buy that he would hit another three home runs in an additional six weeks, but in everything else, I agree with you. It's very easy to see someone of his profile start falling into the, uh, the, 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 tropes and the, the traps of, of swinging at everything. The on-base percentage plummets. So I am with you, Jeremy, it was with a heavy heart. I do take the under, I don't take it by much, but I do take it.
0: Well, I will, I will be the optimist here with Christopher Morrell. I actually think the slash line is about right but I'm going to take the over on the home run total. I think he's going to play a ton. I don't know that he's the everyday third baseman, but he's going to get a ton of starts. And there's another guy in this list that we're going to get to in a minute that I don't think is going to be a Cub come August. So that's going to mean more playing time, I think, for Christopher Morel. So slash line, I would say that looks good. I'll take the over. He's going to get to 20 home runs this year and we will be the optimist. I'm pulling for Christopher Morel. Give him the over. I mean, everyone's pulling for Christopher yeah. Morel. You can't hate Christopher Morrell. Well, oh, here's I a guy that I'm very excited about. Cody Bellinger, the big free agent signing, expected to be the everyday center fielder for the Cubs. Coming off a rough year, about one and a half war, hit 210 on base 265, uh, 389 for the slugging, 19 home runs last year for Cody Bellinger. How does Fangraphs project him for 2023?
1: Yeah. And the, and the one thing about those numbers last year, you'll give a little bit of context is they were in Dodger stadium, you know, which sometimes is a tough place to hit, but fan drafts this year, the depth chart projections are uh, Cody still kind of struggling a little bit with the the 226 batting average, uh, a low 300, 302 on base percentage, a low 400, 404 slug, but hitting, hitting the same 19 home runs as he did last year and slightly increased to 2.2 war. And for me, I'm actually going to go, I'm going to be an optimist on this one. I'm going to go over. Uh, he's been out there in spring training all year or all off season, kind of really getting out there. hitting. We've seen him kind of hitting tanks so far on video in spring training. Uh, He's going to be out Wrigley, uh, getting away a little bit from Dodger Stadium, although Wrigley can, of course, play as a pitcher's park as well. Uh, I I just think getting him out there, getting him away from what he's been at, getting something new, putting him in a different situation, getting new coaches, new people to look at him, not just kind of going through the same routine that he's always kind of had. I think it's going to be good for him. And I think Cody Bellinger is going to have a pretty good year. I don't think he's going to be all-star level Cody Bellinger or MVP candidate Cody Bellinger, but I'm going to go over on um, that, that 706 OPS is what I just calculated that. so uh, And over 19 home runs. I think he's going to hit mid-20 home runs.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm going to be the pessimist or a pessimist here again, depending on Ronan. I am going to take the under. I do think the home runs are right. I think getting out of Dodger Stadium and into uh, a little more hitter neutral division. Uh, and ballpark are going to help him, but I could very easily see that being his slash line, um, at the end of the season. So I am going to take the under, uh, as much as I agree with the home runs do put me down for the under and Ronan, I can see here. You already have put me down the, for the under, you know, me so well.
0: Yeah, well, I'm taking the over. I'm all in on Cody Bellinger. I think he's going to outperform the slash line. I definitely think he's getting the 20 home runs. I'm super excited for the year that he has. And I'll say, like, I understand the pessimism that people have regarding Cody Bellinger. He's been really bad the last two years. The argument that I would make, the reason why I'm being optimistic, you know, the bat speed has been down for him the last couple of years. When the bat speed goes down, the power goes down. This is not a 47 home run hitter anymore, but I think he's healthy and he's only 27 years old. And I'm not saying he's going to return to form in 2019, hitting nearly 50 home runs, But i do think the bat speed will improve with health and he's still in that window of potentially the prime of his career so i'm going to be an optimist i think he's going to translate well to your point jeremy to a change of scenery I think 20 home runs is going to be a lock for Cody Bellinger and he's going to outperform that 2.2 war. I'm really excited to see Cody Bellinger every single day for the Chicago Cubs. And it's going to be satisfying too. If this guy tears the cover off the ball, because I've been chirping very loudly since like the middle of last year, I've been saying, we got to get Cody Bellinger to the Cubs. This is the perfect fit. So I'm all in. I'm going to take the over here on Cody. And the,
1: and the one Let- thing with Cody, Oh, I just wanted to add on to what you're saying is he had a, Remember in the world series or was it the NLCS where he painted his shoulder, I think celebrated he separated his shoulder. So he's in 2020. So he's been coming back from that. That'll, that'll staff your power a little bit. i always
0: celebrate safely kids. Yeah. All right. One more guy here. The starting left fielder, Ian Happ had an all-star season last year for the first time in his career. Awesome year, 17 home runs, 271, 340 on base, 440, uh, three and a half war last year for the Cubs Fangraphs not as optimistic Jeremy about Ian Happ this year. What are they saying?
1: Yeah, they're 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 you know, go, going with the under of last year which is a 244 batting average, a 329 on base percentage, uh followed by a 425 slug with 22 home runs, but uh 2.9 more. Um I think for me, uh I think it's you know, you always probably would bet against a guy repeating necessarily as, his career highs, you probably bet the under if a guy has a, a year, but I'll say, I'm going to go over on this one. I think that he kind of, he, he, he still, you know, right in the middle of his prime. He's not like, it, it was a career year. Yes. But I think he showed some things last season that are sustainable. I think that he's going to have, um he's going to be one of the leaders of this team. I think he's going to be a very good player. I think he will probably come close or, uh, to repeating his season last year, so I'm going to go over. I think it's going to be slightly over. I think he's. Uh, I like the fact that they're giving him more homers than he hit last season. Um, but uh, I think he will be another three plus win player.
2: I'm with Jeremy on this one. I think FanGraphs is selling him short. I will take the over. Uh, I could see higher average, higher on base. I do like the home runs. I'm per- perfectly happy to stick with those.
0: I'm going to go over on Ian Happ here. I will too, with the caveat he is not a Cub. Come August first, I'm really pessimistic about that. I think if an extension was going to happen, it would have happened already. And I'm worried that the Cubs are are going to be so-so at the middle of the year. Him is an impending free agent, they trade him, they get something back for it. They've got a whole bunch of interesting outfielders in AAA that could get those at bats the second half of the year. So I'll take the over. I just don't think it's all going to happen with the Cubs. So here's
1: my question then to you: If you're projecting, as you will, that Ian Happ will be traded. Uh, this offseason? Are you also just doing the same for Cody Bellinger? I assume you assume that if the Cubs are out of it, and Cody Bellinger being an impending free agent, that he will be traded as well.
0: With real possibility, yeah. Uh, I think that him, I think Marcus Stroman, I think there's a number of guys on this team that are certainly, depending on how, how they're performing versus the Cubs' long-term plans, they very m- much could be gone. So yeah, I'm not convinced Cody's going to be around but I'm worried about Ian because the Cubs have had a long time with Ian Happ to get something worked out and they haven't done that so you've got all these interesting minor league outfielders that makes me think Ian Happ may not be in the long-term plans for the Cubs
1: the one the one interesting thing I think that did come from camp today I mean it wasn't that interesting but is the fact that you know we talked in the past about how uh Jed talked about, you know, the discussions with Anthony Rizzo or how they left a the bad taste in his mouth, how he doesn't want to negotiate until opening day anymore because it was just a bad way to start the season. But he did say today that they have had positive discussions on the on the extension front, didn't specify, didn't get into any specifics about anything. But he said there have been positive discussions, that they're, he's looking forward to continuing those discussions and moving forward as time comes. So it did seem to me like he was necessarily – he said there are no deadlines that he, he's not really cutting off talks. It did seem like as of, at least at this moment that he was like, OK, it's free training. I don't want to talk anymore. And he did mention that he has had a bad taste in the mouth in the, in the past in doing it this way. But it seemed like he is kind of going through this uh, this free training and we will we will see them uh, move forward at least a little bit and talking with extension. So I, I thought that was, as Jed said, a positive direction.
2: He he certainly didn't shut down the notion in his uh, spring training opening press conference today. You know, he could have very easily said at spring training, we haven't gotten anything done. Uh, Talks are going to end here. But like you said, he didn't. He he left that door open. He mentioned positive discussions. And that's sure better than hearing that the, the door has been shut and nothing is going to get done. So as much as he did say he doesn't want to negotiate during spring training, maybe they quietly are able to get something done on the sidelines and able to use the time positively. So fingers crossed.
0: Well, I've been taking notes here on our predictions over or under with regards to these fan graph projections. We will revisit this as the season goes on. Lots of chances to eat crow. Um, Maybe we're right, though. We'll see how all this plays out. We will pivot next week. We got to talk infield. We got to talk catching. We got to talk starting rotation. We got to talk bullpen. So we'll look at these fan graph projections as we get closer towards opening day. And
1: hopefully they're all over. All of them. Will yeah, be over. Oh yeah, and the hopefully. Cubs have
0: Cubs have a 2021
1: San Francisco Giants type season where everybody right. just outperformed. What's every single player in a
0: career year?
2: Everybody overachieves just yeah. completely beyond beyond all known parameters.
0: You know that would be awesome. A lot of the team projections have the Cubs somewhere between low to mid to high 70 wins. There's not a lot of these projections looking at 90 wins for the Cubs this year. So hey, if they all overperform, if Cody Bellinger gets 40 home runs. They got a chance. We'll see where it all goes. Um, looking take forward to mouth. talking. Yeah. Yeah. We'll uh, look forward though, to pivoting to the infield. Uh, Nico Dansby, Eric Hosmer. We'll get to all these guys and we'll take a look at those projections. Um, one other note on spring training here. A bunch of Cubs have numbers. Dansby's wearing seven Randall. That means Jan Gomes gives up number seven. He moves to 15. Other than that, are there any notable Cubs Jersey numbers or anything that caught your eye? Absolutely.
2: Tucker Barnhart, a career number 16 kind of guy. And when most of his time with Cincinnati, he's in number 18 and uh, it'll be nice to see number 18 back behind the plate reminds you of Giovanni Soto. Miles Mastroboni is number 20. It's a number that's been passed around more than a few times. Cody Bellinger was a 35 his entire time with the Dodgers. He drops each digit by one and takes number 24, a good center fielder's number. Brad Boxberger, not Box Bradberger. I'm going to be fighting that all season. He's in number 25. Trey Mancini continues his uh, numbering trend, taking number 36. He was 16 with Baltimore, 26 with Houston. So wherever he ends up next, may want to get a number 46 jersey prepared for him. Jameson Tyone keeps the number 50 that he's worn his entire career with Pittsburgh and New York. Eric Hosmer wearing a uh, less than traditional number for a first baseman in number 51. Julian Merriweather, one of the new bullpen arms, he's in number sixty-six, and Rowan Wick, Jameson Tyone took his number fifty, and so Rowan Wick has gone uh, full Wick Vaughn Wild Thing, and he's now wearing at number ninety-nine, a Ronan O'Shea favorite.
1: Randall, I have a question for you. Yes, Will Jeremy? you be taking out your Ben Zobrist World Series MVP hero tro, uh, excuse me, jersey, putting a little bit of duct tape across the nameplate? and writing in Barnhart and Sharpie to break out to Wrigley this season.
2: (laughs) Well, you know what? If if Tucker Barnhart ends up the World Series MVP in 2023, I've got a ready-made jersey that I can very easily re-letter. So, Tucker Barnhart, the ball is in your court, or your barn, I guess.
0: At tip of the cap, real Wick, 99. We'll be uh, talking other Cubs that have worn 99 before we break today. But one other thing we want to get to here, we are 20 years removed from that magical 2003 season. And Randall took a look at the players that were invited to spring training back in 2003, and he's got some names from that list to share. Um, As he prepares that, I will say, I went to spring training in 2003. Got a chance to go to a couple of Cubs games that year. Met Chip Carey, met Steve Stone, Tony Dungy was sitting behind us at one of the baseball games, and Andy McPhail was driving around at a convertible. Those are my memories as a junior in high school at Cub Spring Training in 2003. Randall, who all, don't name everybody, but give me some notable names on that spring training roster.
2: Absolutely. Spring training rosters are fascinating to me. You've got lots of guys who are interesting names coming into camp and they are never seen or heard from again. Uh, so as I was digging for this, I do have to tip uh, the biggest of caps to Casey Ignarski. Find him on Twitter at Casey. That's K A S E 9 9 on Twitter, and of course find his uh, in indisposable website, cubsbythenumbers.com. I couldn't find the Cubs spring training roster from 2003, so I asked Casey, uh, you got anything in the archives, and what did he do but send me the scan from his 2003 Cubs media guide with all the information I needed. So Casey, uh, biggest of tipped caps to you. Some names that jumped out at me from the 2003 spring training roster on the non-roster side. Rob Beck, was actually with the Cubs in 2003 spring cramp. That's a name that uh, resonates throughout Cubs history forever. Uh, Angel Guzman, the, you know, the former future top prospect, he was in big league camp with the Cubs in 2003. And on the, uh, the outfield side, Tom Goodwin, who would be a, a reliable bench guy for the 2003 and 2004 Cubs, he came in on a minor league deal. And Ronan, we would be remiss if we did not mention uh, one of your favorite minor league Cubs of all time, uh, Trent Trinidad Hubbard was a minor league signee of the Cubs that offseason. He spent a considerable amount of time in big league camp. Um, and I know you had the opportunity to interview him uh, at one point in your your amateur sports casting career. And so I, I always do find interesting the names that pop up in spring camp, um, just because, you know, it's funny to see, who, uh, who's been floating around, who's trying to latch on and who pops up somewhere else. So minor league roster, minor league signees and camp are always interesting to me. And those are some of the names that jumped out at me from the 2003 roster.
0: Let me give you a little Trinidad Hubbard story for the folks at home that don't really know his story. One, he's from Chicago, South shore high school. So he's a local guy. You always want to pull for those guys. He made his major league debut in 1994. We're talking about the 2003 Chicago Cubs. Trinidad Hubbard was 30 when he was a major league rookie in 1994 with the Colorado Rockies. He would play for the Cubs in a handful of games in 2003. So I will always talk up Trinidad Hubbard. It's just amazing to me that that guy who ended up playing in the big leagues for parts of 10 different years didn't make his major league debut until he was 30 years old. Good for him. Perseverance. You know, you like a story like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he kept playing for a long time as well in the minor leagues afterwards. So, a uh, pretty cool thing uh, for me. I always, I always on that 0-3 team, just knowing that Rod Beck was down there in Des Moines. I always wanted to see him get called up, and we never the really got to see, too. Yeah, we never really got to see that though, as the Rod Beck, um, and and. and at Wrigley in the 03 season. But uh, you know, you did get all those stories about him just hanging out, out in the in the Iowa Cubs parking lot uh in the um, you know, trailer that he had set up. So, uh but yeah, there's some good names there for that 03 team and some of them as you we mentioned went on to actually help that 03 team become division champs and make all the way
0: to the LCS. Well, I'm excited to revisit that team all year long um but I do remember a couple spring training games I also remember showing up at HoHo Cam which was the Cubs' spring training facility at the time. It was the day my dad and I had landed. We had no intentions of going to a game that day, but we just drove over to the ballpark. It was like the fifth or the sixth inning. We said, hey, can we go into the team store? They're like, yeah, no problem. Walked right into the ballpark from there, got to see the final three innings of a game, and he saw Troy homered in one of those spring training games. So it was just very cool. I felt like we kind of snuck into the ball game. We got to see he saw Troy hit a homer, and then we ended that spring training trip. We got to Tempe Diablo Stadium which is where we got to see Tony Dungy. He was in the row right behind us. But the Cubs played a spring training game at the Major League Park. I don't know if it was still Bank One Ballpark in 2003. It's gone through a number of different names, the Dome Stadium down there. But we actually got to see the Cubs play in there, which was pretty neat. They were just two years removed from the World Series at that point. So it was kind of neat to be in a ballpark like that. So really good times. 20 years later, we'll revisit that team all year long. But I'm told that Randall's done a little bit of homework for the show tonight, and he's got some trivia for you and I, Jeremy. So what do you have, Randall?
2: That I do. I dug through franchise history, and of course, this franchise has a long and storied history. And so a bit of a franchise history lesson for you in tonight's trivia. The Cubs, or the franchise that would become the Cubs, were, of course, founded in 1876, and the franchise's first season with a formal spring training was a decade later in 1886. Since that year of 1886, the Chicago Cubs have held their spring training camp in seven different states within the United States. Can you name those seven different states? And for bonus points, can you name the cities within each state? And as a hint, there are multiple correct cities within certain
0: states. Well, I don't know that I can get to seven, but a couple obvious ones jump out. Obviously, Mesa and where they are right now in Arizona. The other fun one, I think, Jeremy, is Catalina Island out in California, I mean, they sent the team to an island out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean to get ready for the start of the season. So I always love that story. Uh, Those are the two obvious ones that jump out at me. Uh, Jeremy, I'm thinking sort of out loud here too. I believe there were other cities in Arizona that hosted them, and Scottsdale is in my mind, but I I don't know if that's definitive. I guess we'll get that in a minute. And I seem to think that along the way they did one or two years in Florida – as an outlier before settling in Arizona. So that's where my head is at right now. I'm confident in Mesa. I'm confident in Catalina Island.
2: Yeah. What do you have for us?
1: Just to to add, I I believe the Wrigley's family like owned a lot of property on the Island. That's why they were out there and were big there. Uh, I, for some reason, I want to say they were in Tampa. I actually think they were like the first team to ever have spring training. And they did it in Tampa, Florida for like one year in like the 1910s or something, or maybe it was 1886, you said. Um, so I I, I I think they were in Tampa for a period. Um, and I think, I'm trying to think, so for, uh did they ever do it like it's somewhere like in Illinois, I assume? See, see, I'm thinking like, that I'm thinking too. Like maybe yeah. downstate Illinois, they probably, or, or something around, you know, probably didn't want to travel as much. They, they um, went to
0: Platteville with the Bears. Yeah.
1: Yeah. well that's a wisconsin oh sorry uh um but uh yeah so i'm thinking here here's what i'm thinking i'm thinking i'm just gonna throw out some states uh so florida uh arizona and california i think we're all pretty confident on those three uh illinois uh i don't know did they ever go to like iowa did they do iowa randall not
2: huh? iowa not iowa but you're you're in the right region. You're in the well, right did, part was, of the country. Was Ronan
1: right with Wisconsin? <laughs> they go. Uh, Ronan was
2: not correct <laughs> okay. with Wisconsin. Not not a border to Iowa, but you're still in the right region.
1: Uh do they ever? Wow. So we're we're just we're just throwing things out. Um. So not necessarily a border, and it's much south, farther south. But do they ever go? Do they do in Texas?
2: Not Texas. Uh, Arkansas. You are you, you 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 are correct. Arkansas, Arkansas. is one of those states. Well, give us the uh, list here. Yeah, give us the list. All here. right. So, since their first spring camp in 1886, the Cubs have held spring camp. Spring camp in Hot Springs, Arkansas, New Orleans, Louisiana, oh, in you. 1870, and for a few years at the very beginning of the 20th century. Jeremy, you were right with Illinois, and not you weren't just right with Illinois. Champaign, Illinois, Ooh, wow of all places, 1901 and 1902, and again in 1906. Spring Camp in Los Angeles, California, Santa Monica, California, French Lick, Indiana. It's an unfortunate oh. name, or maybe maybe oh. a fortunate Where's name. A Larry Berg. Yeah, Larry bird That's where Larry French Berg's Lick, from. Indiana. You are, of course, correct with Tampa, Florida, 1913 to 1916, Pasadena, California. 1917 to 1921, of course, Catalina Island, or its formal name Santa Catalina Island, where you are correct, William Wrigley Jr. owned a majority interest in the island. It must be nice to be able to own majority interest in island. I'd love to do that. Didn't end well and for then, everybody. No, it did not. And then, of course, <laughs> uh, at a, an early ballpark called Rendezvous Park in Mesa, from 1952 to 1965. To Long Beach, California, at Blair Field in 1966, Scottsdale, Arizona, 1967 to 1978, and of course they settled into the uh, they settled into Hohokam Park in the late 1970s, and of course they stayed there with some renovations until Sloan Park opened uh, not all that long ago. And so your seven states are Arkansas, Louisiana, Illinois, California, Indiana, Florida. And Al and Arizona. And so that is a brief history of the Cubs spring training homes.
0: All right. Is that the only trivia question?
2: That is that is my trivia oh, question oh, for you. I this thought was we a, had this that. was a this was a dense one with a lot of yeah. geography. I didn't want to overload it, but you know, spring training is a many, uh, a many threaded textile. We will have more spring training trivia throughout the spring in order to to break up these weeks of monotony.
1: It is pretty cool. They've been in Mesa basically for almost 50 years. Like that's a long time. Basically, to yeah. I mean, the Dodgers are gone from Dodger town.
0: That's probably like the longest one down. Yeah. It's a beautiful facility that they have too. And they've built up and Mesa's hot these days, man. It's booming. So lots of changes in Arizona. I have had a chance to spend a couple of spring trainings down in Arizona. And I think it's a much better product than Florida. I know you were there, Jeremy. You got to see some of the parks in Florida, but the proximity of all of the cities and locations in Arizona, I think, is just a better fit. And I don't know, I like the cactus more than the palm tree. That's kind of my preference there. So it is co- sort of cool, though, to see what happens. These teams go south, they get to work out, it's a great opportunity for fans. And I always think about the guys you're going from what's going to be a lot of 80, 85 degree days here to playing outdoor baseball at Wrigley or Minnesota or New York. That's got to be such a brutal adjustment for some of those guys as they acclimate to playing in the cold again.
2: Yeah, you know, it's been a, a long time since I was at spring training but I've been to Arizona. I've been to Florida. I'll take the dry heat versus the humidity. I'll take scorpions, which can't fly versus giant pterodactyl sized mosquitoes that can fly. And I'll take the ballparks that are all a whole lot closer to each other versus what can be a drive of an hour or more between the ballparks uh, down there in Florida. I think the Cactus League wins out pretty easily. And I will say you haven't seen anybody jump ship from the Cactus League to the Grapefruit League, but you've seen some teams abandon Florida for new facilities in Arizona in the last 10 to 15 years. And that's, that's, uh, I think that's, Speaks for itself.
0: Well, remember too, the Cubs threatening to leave Arizona before they got we some all money. It. I really didn't want that to happen. I'm glad it worked out and they got to hang out in Mesa. Really, really nice facility. Randall, I'm smelling a BTYL road trip here. I don't think it's going to be this year, but we got to get you down to Mesa. You got to see the new facilities here. Uh so maybe 2024, we'll get the whole crew down there and we'll take in some spring training games.
2: I would love to get flushed down to Sloan Park, the the leader in uh, bathroom, bathroom fixtures and such and proud sponsor of the Chicago Cubs.
0: You know, there's a lot of new construction here in Denver. You go out, apartment complexes, buildings, definitely new restaurants. I take note when I'm in the bathroom and that Sloan logo is popping up. It's like, ah, my boys here taking care of the plumbing. So Sloan seems to be pretty popular these days.
1: Yeah. And just to point out what, what just go back a little bit what you were saying is about uh the weather uh most of those guys besides just being in arizona for now they are the whole off season like they're not they're in mostly in warm weather players especially the international players so they're they're really never seeing you know the cold weather of chicago or new york as you said until they get there for like 10
2: months 11 months yeah, famously, of course, last offseason, Seiya Suzuki, the one day he visited Chicago, was one of those abnormally warm winter days. He, of course, reported straight to Mesa after signing and didn't get back to Chicago until it was quite chilly. And, of course, famously, he goes up to to Jed Hoyer after one day of cold weather and goes, those charts you showed me were bullshit. It
0: can be tough. I'm I will be at Wrigley Field in April. I'm coming back for uh, an event in the middle of April and I, I was telling Harriet I go you're going to get your first April game at Wrigley Field. It could be <laughs> 60 degrees and kind of comfortable. It could be 30 degrees and windy and just, you know, April weather at Wrigley. I'm excited. Go, I don't care. Go find, i don't go care. find one of the
2: roaming hot chocolate vendors. It's a, it's a rite of passage.
0: And whatever it is, I'm just going to be happy to be out there and it's Cubs Dodgers too. So nice. that's going to be even more interesting. All right. I'm hard to believe guys. This is our 99th podcast. Last couple of weeks here, as we've been getting into the seventies and the eighties into the nineties, we haven't had a lot of former Cubs to mention, but my number here 99 is actually pretty popular in Cubs history. Randall, what are some of the names that jump out?
2: It is, of course, Ronan O'Shea, one of the most famous wearers of 99. He doesn't show up on this list. He's technically never played a game for the Cubs, but, you know, that's just a technicality. Four individuals, uh, players and coaches, have worn number 99 in Chicago Cubs history, Uh, and the first one was not until 2001. This is, of course, a favorite of uh, the pod. Todd Hundley was the first wearer of number 99 in Chicago Cubs history. Uh, yeah, uh, he, it would not be worn again until 2009 when former Cardinals out, outfielder, so Taguchi wore the number, uh, and he's a career number 99. He wanted number six. Uh, In St. Louis, that's retired, number nine in St. Louis, retired. He tried 66, and Rick Ankiel had it at the time. So he finally said, screw it, and went to 99. And of course, I'm I'm obliged to ask, how Taguchi was he? The answer is, so Taguchi. And then it would not be worn again until 2019. Will Venable wore it as a coach, and Anthony Iapose. Ward as a coach in 2020 and 2021. And of course, when Rowan Wick uh, hopefully takes the mound for the Cubs in a regular season game, he will become the fifth and most recent wearer of those hollowed double nines, number 99 in Chicago Cubs history. And so that is number 99. And of course, I would again be remiss to mention that if I did not mention that this information does come from CubsByTheNumbers.com. Again, the great website run by Casey Ignarski. Again, do find him on Twitter at CaseyI99
0: well a big show for us next week 100 maybe randall will put together a, a poem or some type of uh, song for us for the big show next week uh, we'll have lots more to get to regarding spring training we will look at the infielders we'll take a look at the fan graph projections for the infield we will take our over and under on that and who knows maybe another transaction for the big league team between now and next week You can find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Until next time, we'll see ya.